Hello and welcome to the Wharton Innovators in Business podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Rathman. Today's podcast is dedicated to Mr. Kenneth E. Baring, a billionaire real estate developer, philanthropist, and the former owner of the Seattle Seahawks. He passed away on June 25, 2019. However, his legacy, donating more than a million wheelchairs through the Wheelchair Foundation and helping hundreds of thousands of children discover their passion for science and history through the Bering Global Education Foundation. It's just a small testament to how he has changed and inspired the world. One of those people inspired by his foundation and his story was me. Here's a conversation I had recorded with him a year ago at his office, talking about his journey. Thank you so much, Mr. Bering, for being here. So my first question is, what is your story? Well, I did not have a lot of money, so it was in the automobile business, doing it the hard way, working from 9 in the morning to 11 at night, seven days a week, selling automobiles. And just through hard work and determination? Yeah, at that time, you had to be there, and you had to try to sell anybody that came in. the type of used cars that uh, we thought people would like. How did you first get into selling automobiles? Well, I, out of high school, I worked for a couple of dealers and became a car salesman. I liked automobiles. But when I was young, I always liked them, and uh, I enjoyed selling them. And we were in a farming community, so we sold more trucks than cars. And a Chevrolet dealer that I worked for. But they had uh, two young son and son-in-law that inherited the dealership. And then finally, they said, you're making more than we do. But they weren't working. So they changed my commission. So I said goodbye and mm. went to another dealership for this couple of months. And then I went on my own in a used car lot. And I had to build the lot, which wasn't much. But... Uh, they put me in business first time on my own in the car business. And uh, mm-hmm. went back to the first theater and bought all the bad cars I had been traded in. So in the beginning, I became a dealer in more or less junk cars. And we were selling to people that had no credit and couldn't buy in any other place. So every week or two weeks, they'd come back in and trade for another car that wasn't really any good either. At least gave them transportation and they'd fix them up so they could drive them for a few weeks, maybe a month, and then trade for another one. But they had no money. and uh, So we made the money selling, plus uh, as we went on, sold better cars. How could you finance all of this? The financing, which was 18% really compound. And then I had a bank that would loan me the money against uh, what I loaned. So I was really borrowing 100% of the money. At that time, I was probably paying 7%, 8%. I was charging 18% compounds. So financing made me more money than the car business. But nobody else would do it. They couldn't go to the bank. They couldn't go to any place because their credit was terrible. But the ice, every week they had a little money. Mm. And you were still doing this all in high school? 
So how was your university years? Well, I only went to university for one semester, hmm. and that was going the hard way. We bought a little homemade house trailer for $15, and parked in the back of a filling station, paid them 2 or $3 a month to use their bathroom and to get water. The trailer was so bad that it was cold in Wisconsin, snowed. Hmm. We weren't smart enough to nail the there was a window on both sides, and we didn't nail them shut. In the morning, you'd wake up. There was two of us, mm-hmm. and we'd be covered with snow. And mm-hmm. We had a little burner that would only last uh, three hours. So you wake up in the morning, it's 20 below, and you're full of snow, and who's going to shovel it out? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't uh, an enjoyable way to go to the university. It wasn't like having a father that Here's the money, you know, go to a nice dormitory, have fun, party. We had home every, we had our classes, so we didn't have any class on Friday. We did them during the week. Mm-hmm. So we'd go home uh, Thursday night and work Friday and Saturday to get enough money to buy the food for the next week. So we both joined uh, Naval Reserve, so at least we had clothes, we had the Naval outfit. And I enjoyed it, and uh, again, we had a Marine colonel that was ahead of it, and he finally arranged where I could go to Annapolis and probably could get approved if my past the health and everything else. So I was decided I'd become a naval officer, but halfway there I decided I could not take orders, so I turned around and came back. So that was the extent of my military service. Do you have any advice for students that are going to university or just leaving university? Going the way we did was not an enjoyable way. Uh, it was difficult, and we had nobody giving us advice. In my first, sem- I only did one semester. In my first semester, I took city planning, and the professor said, "Well, I've never seen you around campus. Why <laughs> haven't you been here?" I said, "Well, you know." I just came here, I'm a, this is my first semester, and he said, well, this is a senior class. Hmm. And I said, but I'm enjoying it, so he said, okay, you can remain. Eventually, built my own city, and I don't know if I got anything from that course or not, but it's interesting that I took a senior course in city planning, and then I planned my own city. Talking about city planning, the next stage of your career was focused on building out real estate. How did you make this transition? Well, I, I had a friendly banker in Monroe. Eventually, he worked for me. He was the head of a bank in uh, Monroe where I grew up. And he liked me, so he was loaning me money. And he came and said, you know, I can get you FHA loans for some apartments. Why don't you build them? Because I think you can build them for the amount of the loan. So I, I did. I found a builder that could build them, and I built not that many, but a fourplex and a duplex, and then I built my own house. But that was in a short period of time, and um, I enjoyed uh, building as long as I didn't have to do all the work. Hmm. I uh, When I was in the car bazaar, we'd go to Florida for a week or 10 days in the winter, and I really liked it, so I decided why not? go down and live. I was tired of 20 below and two feet of snow. So we just packed up and uh, 
got then the back of the car, went to Florida, and then down there, I met uh, a banker again I got acquainted with, and he told me to, so we bought a good lot, and I built a very nice house. I had a good builder next to me that helped me with all the subs, so I did a lot of it by myself. I, I wanted to find out how you build a house. Before it was finished, uh, the manager of the Sears or one of the companies came and purchased the house for more profit than I had ever dreamt or that you could ever get in automobiles. So why not build? So I bought a few lots and started to build on those, and I was able to finance them on. And they sold, so then I got other small sections of land, which I'd found some people that I sold to that loaned the money or went in as a partnership with me, and they would, uh, or a couple of them had sons, and they put their son out selling, loaned me the money, and I was the builder. So that's mm. really how I got started. I kept doing that, and you know, I met a lot of different people. Bob Smith, who used to be Howdy Doody, which is way before your time, he was my partner for a couple of years on building. Uh, I met a lot of different people. And then I built the first high-rise, and I found a builder that could build it. And it was the first one, and my attorney was very innovative. So at that time, everything was cooperative. So he said, let's see if we can't come up where we can sell the units. It happened there was a senator running for for the Senate that needed some money. Uh, and he said, if you will give me this donation, I'll give you whatever you want when I get in. So when that happened, when uh, he made it, and became a very good senator. But he also came through, and it was through him I got the city charter, which was very innovative. We only had 15 acres and no people. I got at the same time Disney got his charter for Disneyland. Hmm. We were the same year that Disney was more successful than I was probably. But it was interesting how to get a city charter in 15 acres. So what we wanted was to zone small lots uh, to sell to retired people. That time zoning was you had to have a big lot so you couldn't get the price down. So through our city, we could uh, get the price down or the lot size down so we could sell. We were selling for nine, ten, up to $12,000 for a finished house. We had a program where uh, landscaping was done, mowing was done, the outside of the house was painted, and I got hooked onto water, and so we we were able to provide water and sewer and set up a company to do all of this. But at the same time, every 250 homes, we designed a center where they could uh, enjoy life. I mean, shuffleboard and dancing and a community center for every 250 homes. I leased that to the people. Each of them had to pay so much per month. I was getting $10 a month from every house, but I had nothing in it, and we collected that for 50 years. In fact, Annette was still collecting it when I moved out here, but, uh, and it was tax-free money because I sold it to the city, which I had owned, so it was a city bond, so there was no tax 
to me on the money coming in, it was a very innovative uh, way of making tax-free money. When I started in the building business, the tax rate was up to about 90%. Wow. And I remember when it dropped to 75% and 60 and then 50 the taxes were very high. We ended up having about 8,000 acres west of Fort Lauderdale, which my city was west of Fort Lauderdale. And I paid $1,000 an acre for that land, that 30 or 40 year term, so 4% interest a day, a land with a couple million dollars an acre that I bought for $1,000 an acre and got rid of it. I went public with my building company. Now I left everything to go with it, which was a big mistake. I could have kept half of that land. It would have made any difference on the price. But I was tired and I wanted something different. So that's later when I moved here to California. Mm-hmm. We built 25 golf courses down there. You get tired after a while. That time, you know, you work seven days a week, 10, 12 hours a day. Did you have any regrets during this process? Well, the problem, I was too old. I missed all the high tech, and I never did learn it. You know, for a number of years, I was rated one of the wealthiest in Forbes, one of the wealthiest 400, was it? Mm-hmm. And as soon as high tech came, I changed overnight because they would just have an idea and they'd make the money where we did it the hard way of building homes, apartments. And in Florida, I was building 3,000 houses a year. It's the largest builder in the country for a single family. Other things we perfected was we came up with the name condominium. Hmm. And my first one I built on the Edgewood Park in Fort Lauderdale, probably only 18 stories, but there had never been a condominium. Everything had been co-op. It was the beginning of condominium, which now is spread all over the world. Mm-hmm. But we conned the name through the legislature, and we got an act of the legislature to sell air rights, which had never been sold before. That was an interesting time in my life. And I kept the top floor, and I had parties uh, every weekend. The people that came down, most there was a crowd out of Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. had some great parties. And it was a place for them to come to get away from Palm Beach where the newspapers would have picked everything up. I'm really curious, what is your decision-making process? I know in the next stage of your life, you own the Seattle Seahawks. How do you even go about making the decision of buying an NFL football team? Well, you have to think of what's good and you have to make an instant decision. The way I bought the football team, I knew the Nordstrom family. I had a home in Palm Springs, and uh, the oldest son had a home there, and I played golf with him. And he said, I'm having a party. Why don't you just come up? So I had nothing to do. So I went up, and it was a great party. And then the next day, he was taking me back in my airplane, and he said, Rod, we own the football team. Would you mind? we got a little time. I'd like to stop. And the first time, it was preseason. I haven't watched them, so we just watched for a few minutes. So we stopped, and then he started introducing me to the coaches and to great end that we had. Uh, we became a good friend. And he took me out to the airplane, and we were going up the steps. He said, you know, my family has been getting bad publicity from football, especially if they, we don't win. And they've decided if they could get a decent offer, they would sell. 
I said, well, how much? And came up with something. I said, well, what is the lowest possible price that they would take? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, I'm a part of it. And my brothers and my sister and her husband. You know, I think if somebody, if we didn't have pay commission, I think they might take 80 million. So we've got 35 or 40 million borrowed at the bank, which I'm sure could be turned over. So I said, well, I'll give you 75 million and buy it. And he said, no, I know they. But they told me with the lease. I said, well, how about 77? He said, I tell you what, if you give 79, uh, I'll take the million off of my share of it. You could own the team. So I said, okay. And we shook hands, and the next morning, headlines in Seattle paper that I had bought the team. Within two nights, they had a big affair at the football field where all the people came. Um, I didn't close the deal for four months, but it was one of those deals, you know. We shook hands, and that was it. So you have to deal with people that you can trust and where the word means something. Whenever you do something, and if you don't live up to your word, you will never be strong again. So even if you make a mistake, if you said something, you, you have to live with it. And years later, what was the interaction like when you sold the Seattle Seahawks to Paul Allen at Microsoft? Microsoft was very questionable. I tried all over the country to sell the team. There was no buyers. And I moved the team then to L.A. Because mm -hmm. L.A. we could have went to the big stadium. But there was such an uproar. In Seattle, they, they went crazy. So they finally talked Paul Allen into buying And the little bit I talked to him, he said, well, how about getting part of the money in stock in Microsoft? I guess I don't know enough about it, and I don't have that much faith that Microsoft is going to be that great. So I said, no, I just want cash. Stock probably went up a hundred times since then. So every decade, you seem to change your interest. What makes you change these interests? Well, I don't money. So if I wanted to go into something else, I had to sell what I had. It wasn't like I could keep what I had and go into something else because I never had that much capital. So you, you learn to do that, and it stays with you the rest of your life. I, you know, I tire of things. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Mr. Baring. At the end... Any last words you want to leave the audience with? You have to take a chance. You have to be honest. Your word has to be absolute. The harder you work, the luckier you get. And that's something that's always going to be here. I don't care who it is, where it is. But the harder you work, the luckier you get. Thank you so much for joining us on the Wharton Innovators Podcast. A special thanks to Diane Hahn at the Bering Global Education Foundation for making this conversation and podcast possible. For more information and content, find us at www.wartoninnovators.com.